First Kings chapter eight, verse number fifty-four. And it was so that when Solomon made an end of praying all this prayer and supplication unto the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord, from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven. Uh, let me pause here and say that, you know, I grew up in a very conservative, independent, Baptist mindset. And people would, in my church, and it's not this way everywhere, but in my church, they'd get a little uncomfortable if people raised their hands. I don't share that discomfort. That was a traditional posture of prayer for the Jewish people. And... Uh, so I guess what I'm saying is, if you want to lift your hand, go ahead. And I really don't care if it's facing this way or this way. I don't much care, you know. I do remember one time I went to a church service with somebody, and they were doing this, and they said, well, put your hands out. And I said, why? First of all, if you've got to tell me to do it, it's probably not that sincere. But I said, I said why? They said, so you can receive the Spirit. I said, I already got him. <laughs> I got all, every bit of him when I got saved, you know. And uh, they said, okay, then just put it out to, you know, well, no, I'm good. But I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. If you want to lift holy hands, the Bible talks about that. And that's fine. Um, but anyway, you see that as the posture of prayer here. Verse 55, and he stood and blessed all the congregation of Israel with a loud voice saying, blessed be the Lord that have given rest unto his people Israel according to all that he promised. Watch this. There hath not failed one word. Of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. Let him not leave us nor forsake us. That he may incline our hearts unto him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, which he commanded our fathers. And let these my words wherewith I have made supplication before the Lord be nigh unto the Lord our God day and night, that he maintain the cause of his servant and the um, and the cause of his people Israel is at all times as the matter shall require. And then verse 60 is our focus. That all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is none else. That all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is none else. This morning we talked about the God of this ministry. If we're going to make much of him, we're going to make him known, it's good to start that off by talking about him. And we talked about how the God of this ministry is an invariable God. There's no shadow of turning with him. There's no changing. He keeps his word. He doesn't change. And then we talked about he's the immediate God, immediate meaning having nothing between. He's right here with us. God made a promise to the church that is as sure to us as it was to Solomon. He said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. I'll never leave thee, nor forsake thee. He's the influencing God. We're to walk in all his ways to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, which he commanded our Father. How do we do this, given how easily we fail and falter because when you get saved, God begins to incline, to bend, to turn your heart towards the things of God. And then he's an intentional God. There's nothing haphazard or accidental. Everything's on purpose. And God 
keeps at the forefront of his thinking our prayer requests, our needs, our desires. And we're glad about that. Now tonight we want to shift our thinking just a little bit. But before we do, I'm, I'm going to pray and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about some of the things we're going to endeavor this year. I didn't do it quite as obviously as I've done it in years past, making slides and everything. I just want to kind of talk to you about it a little bit. So let's pray and we'll get into it. Father, would you help us now as we look to your word? May we uh, glean from it exactly what you have for us and help us as we, help me as I try to cast a vision for this year. And uh, Lord, um, Lord, just have your will and way in this place tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I just gave you the title, didn't I? Um, the theme being making him known. We want to refocus our efforts on making sure that as many people as we can reach with the truth of who Jesus is and what he offers is forefront in our thinking. Now, the most obvious way of doing that is um, looking at our, our missions program. Now, we need to get this idea in our head that missions and world evangelism does not, is not confined to things outside of our borders. Our endeavors to reach people with the gospel should be everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the other most parts of the earth. As sure as we need to invest on reaching people in Cambodia or Botswana, or Germany, we need to really invest our efforts in reaching people in Withful, Pulaski, Rural Retreat. My soul does Rural Retreat need it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and, and there's a lot of ways to do that. God has blessed us. Keep up your missions giving. Our missions program is doing very well financially. And we thank the Lord for that. We don't rest on that. We want to continue to build that. And, and certainly we want to look into taking on more missionaries. One of the ways we're going we're to facilitate that is I've been praying about this. And rather than having a missions conference, a three-day thing where, you know, we, we all gather and we find a missionary or two or three and we find a speaker and all of that, we want to have a missions emphasis month. At the moment, we're thinking about October, in which the whole month, every Sunday in the month, we are focusing on the, the thought of world evangelism. And within that month, we will have special speakers and missionaries and things like that. There's a couple of things that does. First of all, I think it does broaden our thinking. And frankly, it's, it's a little more financially sound as well. Because when you have, when you have a, a three-day conference or a four-day conference and you're bringing in missionaries and you're bringing in a speaker and you're paying for hotels and you're doing everything else, you are, you are depleting a lot of missions money just on that. And that's not wrong to do if you've got this unlimited supply. But if you spread it out over the course of a month, it's a whole lot easier to bring in a missionary for a day than it is to bring in a missionary for three, four, five days, potentially. So there's some financial um, wisdom to that, I think. But also, it, it gives us a month, an entire month of thinking about this. I think something else that, and, and I've been waiting on this, I haven't said a whole lot about it, um, in the last couple of years. 
there's technology out there that allows us to put a touch screen on the wall that you can just walk to the country, touch the country you're interested in. It pulls up the missionary, whatever their latest communication is. And whether we like it or not, that's where our kids are now. And if we really want to put world evangelism before this next generation, we need to speak to them in their language. And part of that is that touch screen. Now, I haven't said anything about it for the last couple of years because, frankly, it's been cost prohibitive. It is starting to catch up to where it's not. And so we are looking at different, at different uh, programs and different setups that would allow us to once again put our individual missionaries before our people on a daily basis. And we think that's the most efficient way of doing it. And, and frankly, the most cost-effective because once you have the, the basic system in place, um, you know, digital stuff is free, <laughs> you know, emails and so forth. I have begged our missionaries, listen, we can print up your letters, email them to us. Don't bother mailing them. And there's some mission boards that require that they mail them, but we like for them to email them because then I, I can shoot it anywhere I want to, you know. So this will put missions before our, our kids especially and uh, keep everybody. And, and, and frankly, it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun, you know, to touch it and see who pops up and that kind of thing. And, uh, and then I can find some young person who's technologically inclined and give them a ministry. Your job is to take these prayer letters as we get them emailed and, and to upload them into the, our, into the system. That's a good way to involve a young person. If for no other reason than us older people don't know how to do it. And... Uh, and so we can involve young people with that. Um, then, as far as outreach here in our community, um, we want to once again do the obvious and, and expand our efforts as far as individual one-on-one, whether it's door-to-door or you know visitation or things like that. Certainly, we don't want to throw that away. But there's other ways that we can reach people in this community in addition to that that I don't think we're making full use of, and and I've been already talking to people trying to get educated on this, is we can use, as much as I hate it, and I do, I'm not a fan of social media. I see a lot of ills with it. But whether I like it or not, that's where people are, and that's how they communicate. There are many of you that if I called you on your phone, you would be like, what in the world is this guy doing? But if I messaged you, if I DM'd you, I'd get you immediately. That's okay. That's not a sin or anything. It's just a, a, an adjustment that I have to make. And you can, you can get, you can, it's one of the reasons we dropped the radio ministry, because we were spending $100 a week for something that reached relatively few people, when you can do all of that digitally and online essentially for free. And it wasn't a good use of God's money. And, uh, and so we need to look into ways to use social media to reach people with the gospel and to reach people with, you know, the, the message of this church. And we can make Jesus known through that. And, uh, and that, that's an exciting prospect, I think. Along with that, um, we had a school meeting not too long ago, and I, I asked a question, and it shocked me, the answer. I asked, how many of you have a podcast, at least one that you listen to, you'd say fairly faithfully. And nearly everybody raised their hand. Even in Appalachia, people have their podcasts. There's one preacher, I could call his name, you'd know who he was, he's been here before. And he would tell you that, yeah, he's all for door-to-door and visitation and all of that. He would tell you that one of the most effective ways that he has, he has seen his church grow is through his podcast. 
And so me and Brother Davies are having to wrestle with whether or not it's time for us to enter the fray, both for the church and the school's sake. Now, I've had things ready to go for a podcast for years and just never have pulled the trigger. I keep, every time I get ready to do it, I keep thinking, yeah, but what do I bring new to the table? You know? Truth is, I don't have to bring anything new. I just have to bring things that are true. And, 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 and the, if, if, if people around here find out that, you know, we have a podcast or whatever, you understand that most people far long before they come through those doors for a church service, they've checked us out online. They've checked out a podcast. If there's there, they've checked out sermons. They've, they've done all that. Why wouldn't you? When I'm out of town and I'm looking for where to go to church, you better believe if they have an online presence, I check them out. I want to know what I'm getting into. How many of y'all ever visited a church and you got there and you're like, Whoa. Probably should have had home or hotel church today. Um, You know, you get into it and you're like, wow, I don't even see a Bible anywhere, you know. Um, And so so there's there's a lot of things that we're looking to do to find ways to effectively and efficiently make him known in our community and beyond. And so that's going to be the focus of what we're working on this year is opening up those opportunities and seeing. Now, some, some of it may not work. Some of it may not work. Some of it may not be. I've learned the hard way. Not everything that I present to you works. Okay, what do you do? You try again. You do something else. And you try to find ways to reach people. But as far as our time tonight in the Word, I want to I shift from, um, from the, the general, generalization of ministry and making God known to something more specific. And this morning, among other things, we learned that the whole point of everything that day, the temple and the sacrifices and everything, was that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is none else. Now, we, of course, apply that to our ministry here. Everything that touches Fellowship Baptist Church, our preaching ministry, Small groups, Sunday school, website, discipleship, musicians, singers, the choir, children's church, student ministry, nursery care, Granite Christian Academy, outreach, benevolence, the media ministry, counseling, transportation, facilities, all of that exists with one primary goal in mind, that all the the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is none else. And if we get our eyes off of the ball on that, then we're in trouble. Everything needs to point to Christ. And we took some time this morning to point out the God of this ministry, our God who is invariable, immediate, influential, and intentional. But this evening, we want to shift our thinking to the people that God used to build the temple and make application to the kind of people God uses to build ministries. Not just this one, yes, particularly this one, but not just this one. We'll see what it takes to make him known. So this morning we learned about the God of this ministry. Tonight let's spend some time talking about the people of ministry. The people of ministry. As we we look to this upcoming year and making him known. Let's use the example of those who were involved in building the temple. Would you hold your place in 1 Kings? We'll be back there, but would you go to 1 Chronicles 22? 1 Chronicles 22. Verse 
First Chronicles 22. And I want to begin with this thought that these people that were involved in building the temple were a fervent people. They were a fervent people. What do I mean by that? I mean they were passionate. We begin looking at David. Of course, the temple, once the temple is, construction has begun on the temple, David's been gone for about four years. He's been dead. But you understand that David had a heavy hand in the appearance of the temple. He was very involved. First Chronicles 22, verse number 6. Then David called for Solomon, his son, and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house unto the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly, and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build a house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to thee, who shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies round about, for his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. And he shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with thee, and prosper thou, and build the house of the Lord thy God, as he hath said of thee. David here is, is understating his desire to, to build the temple. He was obsessed with it. He wanted, this was to be his legacy. This was to be something he left behind as his great offering to God, building this temple. And then God, through the prophet, reaches out to David and says, God, David, good idea, but it's not going to be you. It's not going to be you. It's going to be your son, David was passionate to build the temple. We think of a church reference to that as Christians, Colossians 3.23. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Whatsoever ye do. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing passionately. It's worth doing fervently. It's worth doing at your very best effort. It's worth doing heartily. The question needs to be asked, where do we stand in the matter of our passion, our fervency for the work of the Lord? I have to ask myself that question. I'd love to tell you that in 13 years of pastoring here, an additional five elsewhere. So I've been, I've been pastoring for 18 years now. I am far too young to have pastored for 18 years. But in my time of pastoring, and those of you that have been in vocational ministry or consistent preaching situations or whatever, you know that I'm telling the truth. There are times, despite your best efforts, your fervency just isn't what it ought to be. It's still good that you show up. It's still good that you're where you ought to be and in your place. But if you're honest, the passion just isn't there. And it could be a number of reasons. It could be you don't feel well. It could be that you've had a rough week or, or you know half the church is mad at you or whatever else. But, but you, or at least you feel that way. 
and you just, okay, I'm going to do it because it's what God's called me to do, but Lord, my heart is just not as fired up as it usually is. But the truth is, if we are doing the work of God, there is no higher calling than that. Whatever your work for God is, it doesn't have to be a preaching ministry. If you're in the media de- department, you're in the sound booth, you're up in the, up in the, uh, up in the, uh, the crow's nest up there, whatever we're calling that room up there now, uh, if you help with cleaning, if, if, you, if you scraped off the parking lot, if you, if you parked cars for people that are worried about walking on ice patches, if, you, if, you know, if, you're, if you're involved in the school, if you're involved in the office, whatever the case may be, a Sunday school teacher, a deacon, a trustee, whatever you, whatever you got going on, that is God's calling upon your life, and it is a high and holy affair, and it's worthy of being fervent about it. Amen, Oliver. I agree, buddy. It is worthy of being fervent about it. Because we are serving the Almighty God. Ralph Waldo Emerson, I wouldn't have agreed with him on a number of things, but he said this, nothing great was ever accomplished without enthusiasm. So here's David. He's excited. God, I've I've accomplished all of this. We've set up the kingdom in Jerusalem, run the Jebusites out, got my house built. Lord, it's time for you to have a house. I know you can't, no house could hold you, but Lord, I want something symbolic, something there that people can look to. I'm, I'm fervent about this. I'm excited about this. And then God says, good idea, not you. Note the remarkable nature of David's fervor. Even after being denied the project, he was no less fervent. I've thought about this in in, in view of the Family Life Center. What if God in some way communicated to me, hey, the Family Life Center is a great idea, and you're not going to get it done. It'll be after you. Would I have the character like David to be as fervent about it if I knew I'd never see it? Because sometimes our fervency is measured by how much we think we're going to enjoy it. But that's not how it's supposed to be measured. I'm happy to tell you God's never told me that. I I, I would like to believe that I will get to see the thing. He looked for ways to help the next generation. I can't build it, but I can put everything together for Solomon so he can hit the ground running. And can I say something, friend? And this is, this is for all of us that are over 30. There are some things, unless Jesus comes back first, there are some things God has planned for this church that we won't see. But we can work hard to make sure our kids and grandkids see it. And we should be no less fervent about it. This is interesting. We're talking about this nature of David's fervor. He was satisfied that God got his temple, and it didn't matter whose name was attached to it. Think about it. Who put everything together? David did. But what do we call it? We call it Solomon's temple. What did Solomon really do? He's got everything he needs to build it. David even bought the land for it. He's got all the workers in place. Here's what Solomon did. Hit it. And it's Solomon's temple. 
it'd be kind of like the Family Life Center. I've been beating this drum for years now. And we've worked hard and we've worked hard and we've worked hard. And then God calls me somewhere else. And the next guy, all of a sudden, this massive influx of money, they build the Family Life Center. And yay, Pastor Smith. What am I going to think? Wait a minute. Pastor Smith. But if my heart's right with God, I shouldn't care whose name is attached to it, should I? But if we're not careful, our fervency can be waned a little bit because we didn't get some measure of glory for it. I love Ronald Reagan. I don't know if this is original to him or not, but there's a sign on his desk. There's no limit to what can be accomplished if you don't care who gets the credit. Paul touches on this in 1 Corinthians 3. For when one saith, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? <laughs> Don't you love how straight Paul is? You're just carnal. You're just worldly. You're saved. You're going to heaven. But man, your flesh is strong. Yes. Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos but ministers? That word ministers means servants, slaves. Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos but ministers by whom you believed? Even as the Lord gave to every man, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then is neither he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. And when we stop worrying about what is attached to our name versus this person's name and just get serious about accomplishing things for the glory of God, that's a fervency that he can use. The people of ministry need to be a fervent people. Number two. Now, maybe you can't identify with being fervent. Maybe that's something you struggle with, but every one of us can identify with the next one. The people of ministry are flawed people. Well, not me, pastor. Well, then you are more flawed than you know, because we are all a flawed people. David, boy, we love David, man after God's own heart. But you do understand, David had some pretty pronounced flaws. He was a polygamist. God wasn't for it then. He's not for it now. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He dealt with pride issues. He flat out disobeyed God in the matter of numbering the people. He was flawed. And then Solomon, as far as the morality of David, exceeded his father's moral failure. David did have multiple wives. Shouldn't have done it. But Solomon, 700 wives, 300 concubines. Man. Now, the truth is, he, there were probably some he never met. A lot of these marriages were political marriages. You know, yeah, I'll marry your daughter. I'll marry your daughter if you'll give me water rights to your country, you know, your area over here. Yeah, sure, I'll do that. Just give her a house over there somewhere, you know. But it didn't make it right. God's plan has always been one man, one woman for one lifetime, right? Yeah. Solomon's got issues. And these wives, if they did nothing else, the Bible tells us they drew him away from his God to the worship of other false gods. And the whole book of Ecclesiastes is a man who has lived in regret. 
and is finding his way back to where he ought to be, to where it, it, it ends. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So this man who had been blessed with wisdom more than anybody else other than Jesus has now come full circle back to where he should be. He was flawed. He had problems. Now, I am not at all excusing sinful living. I'm not saying that, you know, hey, it's fine, just live whatever way you want, you know, regardless of what the Bible says. God uses flawed people. That's not what I'm saying. If there's sin in our life, we need to confess it, get it right, and ask God to help us to, to forsake it and repent of it. Okay? We make that very clear. But if God won't use flawed people, there's nobody left to use. Because we're all flawed. Now, what's my point? If you wait until you think yourself morally suitable to do something for God, you will never do anything for God. (laughs) Well, I got stuff I need to work on. There's no way I need to be teaching a Sunday. Listen, (laughs) if I come to you and ask you to consider teaching a Sunday school class, I've already done my homework. I don't just throw that around willy-nilly. Well, preacher, you know I've, I've, got, I've got flaws. Yeah, so do I. I'm asking, are you willing to serve God like this? And if you wait until you feel perfect to serve the Lord, guess what? You'll never be perfect and you'll never serve the Lord. You know? James chapter 5, verse 17. Elias, that's Elijah, was a man subject to like Passions as we are. What does he mean? Fear, doubting, discouragement, depression. How about whining? Did Elijah know how to whine? I alone am left. Yeah, he did. He was a man subject to like passions as we are. Flawed. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. If God will use a flawed man like Elijah, he'll use flawed men and women, boys and girls like us. I want to do great things for God, but I'm flawed. All right. Try anyway. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. That's what William Carey said. The people of ministry are fervent, or should be. The people of ministry are flawed. Let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 5. Number three, the people of ministry at times are faceless. At times they're faceless. There are three big names when it comes to the construction of the temple. Now, I'm talking biblically. I'm not talking about if you've seen, you know, national treasure and all that kind of thing. And no, I'm talking about biblically. There's three big names when it comes to the temple. There's David. There's Solomon. And there's a guy named Hiram. He's a Sidonian. And David and Hiram had a really good relationship. And they traded frequently. And Hiram could get a hold of the best lumber, especially cedar, that you could get. And so if you want to build, you got a building project, Hiram's your guy to get to know. 
In fact, Hiram could even, he even had a navy. He could put the things, logs onto, uh, onto boats and float it down the Mediterranean or, um, or even transport it to the Sea of Galilee and float it down the Jordan and get it wherever it needed to go. I mean, this guy was great. David, Solomon, Hiram. And yet, for those three names... There's a whole lot of workers we don't know. We mentioned this this morning in 1 Kings chapter 5. There were 30,000 general laborers, 70,000 burden bearers, 80,000 hewers of wood, stonemasons and specialized craftsmen of an unknown number, and 3,300 supervisors. And we don't know virtually any of their names. If I look at a, a ministry, let, let's, say, let's say Brother Sexton's ministry there in, in Powell, Tennessee. Of course, he's just recently gone home to be with the Lord. And we appreciate the ministry of Dr. Clarence Sexton. I have personally benefited from the ministry of Dr. Clarence Sexton. We have hired graduates from, from Crown College. Okay. And we are thankful for his ministry. But he would have been the first to tell you that Crown College and Temple Baptist Church there in Powell, Tennessee, would have been nothing without the multitude of faceless people, nameless people, that did the things that nobody paid attention to. 99% of ministry in a church that big is like an offensive lineman in football. You never notice them until they get caught not doing what they're supposed to do. Think about it. The greatest left tackle, well, he was mostly a left tackle. He did other things too. In the history of the NFL, in my view, was number 66 for the Washington Redskins, Joe Jacoby. You couldn't, you couldn't get to the quarterback if Joe Jacoby was in the game, not from, not from that side. This guy is huge. And he has yet to get into the Hall of Fame. It's a crime. It's ridiculous. You know why? Because generally offensive linemen don't get into the Hall of Fame. Because nobody appreciates what they do. They get more contact than anybody else on the football field. They get hit every play. And nobody pays any attention to them until that little yellow piece of fabric flies out and a holding call negates a 50-yard run. Oh, number 66, what's your problem? He's been doing his job play after play after play after play and he gets one call against him and get him out of there. The vast majority of ministry is like that. People show up week after week to vacuum and nobody notices. But my soul let a piece of mud off of somebody's boot be in the floor before a service. Who cleaned this week? Mm -hmm. 
And because that's a, it's a normal, natural attitude, but because of that, people see different layers of ministry. And I've got news for you. Just because a labor is unknown does not mean it is unimportant. If we learn one thing from my sabbatical, and this is a scary thing to learn, y'all did fine for a month without me. Now that's unsettling to me. I'm thankful to have the people in place that can help with that, but I'm thinking through this month, I I may need to come back or they're going to realize backup quarterback's better than me. And that took a lot of discipline on my part to sit still. I said, a month, we're going to do a month. A couple of times, Brother Davies said, now listen, it's a bad idea. You need to stay put. Because, you know, God's put him here to jerk my leash from time to time. But what happens if people stop cleaning? What happens if there's nobody that's willing to run the sound? What, what, happens, what happens if nobody wants to sing in the choir? What happens if nobody wants to play the piano? What happens if, what happens if, if nobody wants to teach Sunday school? What happens if, what happens if, if nobody wants to, to do the work behind the scenes that often is faceless? And you think of these thousands upon thousands of people that had a role in building the temple. How many people did it take to do their job poorly to make a negative impact on the temple? One. If one stonemason doesn't cut his stone correctly, what happens? If one carver doesn't do his job right, what happens? The same is true positively. One person doing their job faithfully, though facelessly, has the potential to change everything. Something as simple as brother such and such, sister such and such, would you be willing to make sure the lights are out after every service? Well, that's nothing. Well, you look at the light bill after the light's been left on all week. It ain't nothing. You see, if we're faithful in a few things, he'll make us ruler over many. And I'm telling you, y'all, I'm convinced of this. When we're standing before the judgment seat of Christ, it is not the big-time preachers that are going to be loaded down with crowns. It's going to be the people that clean toilets. It's going to be the people that pushed a vacuum. It's going to be the people that, that let a bus kid get all over them and grime up their suit. It's going to be the people, it's going to be the people that uh, you know, took care of little things that, that, that I don't know anything about. That's going to be the people that, that have God's attention, even though they're faceless. This may involve unseen labor for a greater purpose. Go to chapter 6, 1 Kings 6. Verse 
You help yourself, bud. I much prefer that to the dead silence of people that have been saved too long. Yeah. Did you know that there was a specific job? I touched on it this morning. There was a, a specific job that the people that did it weren't even there to see it completed. We're in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse number 7. And the house, when it was in building, was built of stone, made ready before it was brought thither. So that there was neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron heard in the house while it was in building. When this stone arrived from the quarry for Solomon's temple, it had already been cut to exact specifications and all it had to do was be placed. The people that did that work at the quarry, who knows how many miles away, never got to see their work brought to fruition. But what happens if they don't do their job? And there's a whole bunch of us that we have no idea where our work's going to end up or how God is going to use it. We just try to be faithful right where we are, trusting that God will use it somewhere outside the quarry. The people of ministry are to be fervent. They are flawed. They're often faceless. We're in 1 Kings chapter 6. We need to be finishers. 1 Kings chapter 6 verse 14. So Solomon built the house and finished it. One of the most damaging, detrimental attitudes that we can have in the work of ministry is an idea summed up in two words. Good enough. Good enough. I am so glad that Solomon didn't look at all the the numbers and the plans and everything and I mean, well, we got walls and a roof on the thing. That's good enough. No, when God gives us direction, we don't have the right to stop short and say that's good enough. God intends us to finish the work that he's given us. How do I know that I'm finished? As a pastor, how do I know that I'm finished? Two ways. One, I'm dead. If I'm dead finished okay here's the other way I know I'm finished that all the people of the earth know that the Lord is God and that there is none else until every person every one of the 8 billion people on this planet knows who Jesus is and has an opportunity to accept or reject him the work is not finished And so everything that falls under that, every project we take on, we need to finish. We dare not say good enough. 
And if we were to take all of this and sum it up in one word, the people of ministry, they're to be fervent. They are flawed and sometimes faceless, but we ought to be finishers. And may God help us more than anything else to be faithful. (laughs) I say this all the time, easy preaching, hard living. There is only one metric that measures our service to God. And I am so bad about this. We're, we're doing, in, in Bible class in school, we're doing, um, we're working through a book that, that deals with our thinking patterns and how destructive thinking patterns can really hurt us as Christians. It's called winning the war in your mind. And one of the things that it touches on is to avoid the comparison game. This is where social media has not been my friend. Because you get on Twitter on any given Monday, every preacher you know had a high day. I have yet to see a preacher. Well, I take that back. I saw one preacher do this, and I respect the daylights out of him. He got on Twitter and he said, well, yesterday was kind of ho-hum and didn't break any records, but God's still on his throne. I appreciate that. Thank you. Because every other preacher out there had 37 saved, 14 baptized, 12 families joined the church, voted to buy a new building. And you're like, great. My sermon stunk. Nobody came to the altar. And, and, and I don't care who they are. Any preacher that tells you, well, I don't look at all those things. They are sanctified liars. Because here's what we look at. We look at how many people got saved, how many decisions were made, baptisms, attendance, offering, things like that. These are the metrics we look at. And none of them are accurate in determining how you're doing. Not in God's eyes. I mean, you think of guys like Jeremiah. God told Jeremiah, here's the message. Nobody's going to listen to you. How hard must that have been? Nobody's going to listen to you. In fact, they're going to try to kill you a couple times. When Jeremiah gets to heaven, what is the metric God uses? Were you faithful to what I told you to do? it. Now, I'm sorry to say that there have been times that I've looked at my own ministry and I've said, you know, Lord, I was active and I was trying to do this and I was working at that. And in all of that, I stopped taking time to just be faithful. Teachers in the school, my soul, I'm so fond of you. I could not do what you do on a daily basis. I teach one class. And it's all I can do to get my grades in on time. I teach one class. And admittedly, my class is teenagers, and that carries its own weight and burden. But I love it. As long as I can, I intend to keep that one class. But some of your kids, and we love all of your kids, some of them, I don't know how else to put it, they're just exhausting. We love them. 
We'd give our lives for them. And those of you that are laughing, you know I'm talking about your kids. <laughs> and, and there's some of the kids, the kids are great, but their parents are exhausting. <laughs> and let's be candid. The teachers at Granite are not paid a fraction of what they're worth. And we're asking God to make that available to where we can do better. But what do they do? They just keep showing up. And they love the kid that is so difficult. And they stick up for the kid that probably should get pushed around a little bit. And yes, some kids have earned it. And they pray for them. And when they get to heaven, God is not going to pull out schoolworks on his computer and see what their grade averages were. He's not going to look at standardized testing or whether or not they ended up in Ivy League schools. He's going to ask them the same thing that he asks me and you and everyone. Were you faithful? Jesus says it. Well done. The good and productive servant. No. Well done. Good and popular servant. Nope. Well done. Good and enjoyable servant. Nope. Well done. Good and faithful servant. That's all that matters. So people of ministry, whatever your ministry is, and everyone in here should have a ministry. A prayer ministry, an evangelistic ministry, a transportation ministry maybe. Maybe you pick somebody up for church. Great. A cleaning ministry, a parking lot ministry, a Sunday school ministry, a media ministry, a preaching or teaching ministry, a music ministry. Whatever your ministry is, just be faithful. And if we'll do that, then we are poised to reach out to this community and make him known. So, Father, would you help us to do just that? In Jesus' name.